Yo, yo, welcome to another post-game edition of the Forum Club. I am your co-host, Jovan Buha, and I am coming to you after the Lakers 108-94 victory over the Memphis Grizzlies on Sunday evening in Memphis. Uh, two stories of the game for, for this one before we get into our open forum Q&A section. Uh, number one, it was Marcus Gasol's return to Memphis. Uh, Mark spoke after the game about how it was not the environment that he had envisioned, obviously, with, with no fans in attendance. Um, you know, th- there were some uh, family members and, and, and team personnel in the stands. I think there was around 100 people or so, um, but, but technically no fans. Uh, so, you know, at, at the second time out in the first quarter, uh, you know, Gasol had actually hit a, a turnaround jumper. Um, which, you know, kind of the the imagery there of a shot that he had hit so many times at the FedEx Forum leads to a timeout from Memphis. Uh, the, the Lakers were up 13 to four and they show this two minute tribute video of Mark as a teenager in, in Memphis, you know, there with Pow and, and then him uh, being brought to the team in 2008, actually after a trade with the Lakers, uh, you know, in the infamous um, you know, Pow trade, and, and then that pick became, um, you know, Marcus Sol, um, and you know him in the community, and, and him, you know, visiting uh, St. Jude's Hospital and um, doing all the stuff that he did. You know, he he spoke about it after as well. Like to him, you know, visiting hospitals and, and being involved in, in the Memphis community was uh, the most satisfying part of, of everything. So for him to not have that moment with fans and 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 kind of um, you know the people that he was with for not just 11 years in the NBA, but almost 20 years of his life. Um, you know, at the time he arrived in Memphis, he was 16. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen some of the photos of him. Uh, you know, he was close to 300 pounds. Um, he, you know, he, he was, uh, you know, one of his nicknames was the burrito. Like uh, he, he just, you know, he, he was kind of this, you know, pudgy teenager and he grew into, um, you know, one of the best, uh, I, I think, Honestly, like one of the best, one of the best passing big men of all time. Um, but really, when you look at kind of like two way impact, um, I think he has a underrated case. Um, you know, just from an all time perspective, with you know, he's a guy who won Defensive Player of the Year, uh, but was also a guy who could get you, you know, 20, 25 points and and you know, seven eight assists uh, on you know on offense. So he's clearly a, a Hall of Famer. Um, I think his his work with Spain in, in terms of winning uh, you know silver medals in the olympics winning gold medals in, in fiba eurobasket and in the world cup like that alone is going to get him in the hall of fame but I, I do think his nba career um you know as a defensive player of the year multi-time all-star a, a champion uh, in 2019 with the raptors like you know multi-time all nba guy multi-time all defensive guy like he he's clearly a hall of fame player like you know first ballot you know no no questions about it um but i, I do think you know mark's history with Memphis is, is something that's special. It's something that, um, you know, not many players can say. I mean, he, he they, they had a graphic during the, the telecast of, uh, you know, he, he was first or second in like every major category, like minutes, uh, games, points, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals, um, you know, wins, like all, all, all those categories. He was first or second all time uh, in Memphis history, you know, along with Mike Conley. So I think it was definitely a special moment for him. You know, he, he kind of got his a weird standing ovation with like the can noise and, um, you know, but both teams cheering for him and, and kind of clapping for him and stuff. But 
he talked about it after um, just kind of it was it didn't go the way he envisioned. Uh, you know, he was supposed to return last season before uh, COVID-19 hit and, and that game had to be uh, postponed and then eventually canceled. Um, so this was technically his first time playing in Memphis. He, he also told us after that he, he's been there, you know, several times, including uh, he was traded right before the All-Star break in 2019. So he actually went back during the break, spent the whole break in Memphis uh, and then went back uh, actually last summer uh, after he'd won the title in Toronto and, and spent some of the offseason there uh, b- before last season started. So he, he's been back several times. He, he still has friends there. He's still, you know, before the pandemic, would, would go to restaurants and, and visit the hospitals. And like he, he still has an impact in that community, uh, but obviously, you know, wasn't able to uh, be kind of the, the experience he had envisioned with just no fans in attendance. Um, and, and I think the second thing to take away or, or just kind of talk about from this game was the Lakers defense on the, the, the stretch of this game, the, the final three quarters, um, you know, so they, they start the game off hot. They're up, uh, you know, they have a 13 to four lead uh, that then turns into a, a 15 to seven lead and looks like they're kind of in control of this game. You know, it's probably going to be a blowout. And, and then Memphis just goes off and, and, and uncorks a 24 to six run to close the first quarter. And to me, that was the Lakers worst defensive stretch of the season. You know, I think if you, if you were isolating any six, seven minute stretch of the season defensively um, or, you know, breaking up every quarter into six minute stretches, that was the worst to me, uh, especially when factoring in the personnel, you know, like th- this is a Memphis team that already last season was, you know, missed the playoffs, was a borderline playoff team, uh, but they're also missing their two best guys in, in John Morant and Jared Jackson. So this to me is clearly a lottery team. Um, you can make a case when looking at the, the two starting lineups, like the Lakers had the three best players on the floor in LeBron, AD and Dennis. So, you know, th- this should not have been as close as it was, uh, you know, or, or as one-sided really as it was in the first quarter. Uh, so Memphis closed the quarter with an 11-point lead. But the rest of the way, the Lakers held them to only 58 points. And, you know, if, if you had kind of stretched that effort and execution defensively into the first, I mean, this Memphis team might not crack 80 points. Um, you know, they, they finished with 94, which is you know, definitely good, especially in the modern era where it feels like you just kind of walk into 110 points. But, um, you know, I, I think for the Lakers to, to kind of show they can flip that switch. And, and we're going to get into that. You know, I, I've already seen some questions about them flipping the switch, um, you know, for, for the, the, the Q&A. So we'll, I'll touch on that a little bit. But I think for them showing that they can clamp down when they need to, um, you know, you, you saw stretches of that in, in the Minnesota game. You, you saw it in San Antonio, um, like against these lesser teams. They're not always giving 100 percent effort all game. And, and frankly, most teams don't. Um, but but they have shown that when they turn it up defensively uh, and that's what you want to see from this team, because we, we know offensively already they were a top three offense heading into tonight. Um, so I, I think with the weapons they've added, you know, Dennis, Trez, Mark, uh, Wes, uh, you know, Kyle continuing to grow, Taylor continuing to grow. Like this team is going to be fine offensively. I think they're clearly going to be a top five offense, um, you know, if not top three. So there's no kind of concern with that end. It's been the defensive end where, where they've been up and down. They were 10th heading into tonight, you know, giving up only 94 points should help their um, defensive efficiency. Let me check here quickly. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Lakers had a 99.7 defensive rating uh, tonight. So that that will go up. Uh, you know, they, they might be seventh or eighth, uh, you know, as of, uh, you know, Monday morning. 
So I think that was kind of the other thing to take away was just, um, you know, this team defensively can clamp down. They are getting better defensively. And I, I think you're looking at a team that could end up being top five on both ends of the floor, which, um, you know, historically the, the benchmark for you know, championship contention is top 10 on, on both ends. Um, you know, it's hard to win if you're not top 10 on, on one end. But for them to be top five, like that is – that's when you start getting into like historical territory of usually teams that are top five on both. Um, those are like the the dominant regular season teams that you do see tend to make, you know, at least the finals, if not win the finals. So that so far is a good, um, you know, trend in the right direction for the Lakers is just the, the defense was a little shaky to start the season. And I think it's starting to improve and, and there still are different ways they can improve, um, you know, and, and they were doing this also. Let's not forget, without Alex Caruso and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who, in my opinion, are their two best perimeter defenders. So doing this all, you know, against a perimeter-heavy team, I mean, they, they do have Jonas Valanciunas, um, you know, Gorgie Jang. Like, they do have some guys who could score inside. But for the most part, this is a jump-shooting perimeter team. You know, Dylan Brooks, Tyus Jones, Kyle Anderson, um, you know, Grayson Allen, uh, like – this is a, a team that attacks you from the perimeter. So for the Lakers to kind of contain them, especially in that you know second half, last three quarters, and do that again without their two best perimeter defenders, like that is to me a, a positive sign defensively and, and something that they can build off of, frankly. Uh, so let's get into the open forum. Um, this is now uh, our, our second edition of this, our, our first time calling it this um, officially. Uh, so last time I had Bill, this time I'm just going to answer questions uh, quickly on my own. So first up, uh, Tom Zayas, friend of the pod, uh, at Creative Destroyer uh, on Twitter. How do you think the baseball style series is working out so far? Any unique challenges come along with it? Um, I, I think it's been interesting. I, I do think that one of the unique challenges is um, it, it does give both teams a chance to almost treat it like a playoff series where, you know, I think in most cases you, you do have a day or two to prepare for an opponent. And, you know, you, especially early in a season, you are focusing more on yourself and, and learning the offense, learning the defense, implementing the new pieces, finding out what lineups and rotations work. Uh, it's a lot of kind of self-development and, and reflection as a team and, and um, you know, just kind of learning, learning each other still. And I think you've seen that with, with the Lakers on, on both ends of the floor, frankly. Um, but when you get into a, a second consecutive matchup, um, you know, especially with, you know, you don't have to travel. So you don't have like, cause sometimes there've been back to backs. Um, usually I think in the past, it was like once or twice a season where you would play a team at home and then you'd go play them on the road. And it would be, you know, a baseball style series, except you, each team would, would have home game. Um, so that, you know, you're traveling, now you're staying in a hotel and, and it, it just, it, it's a different variable that kind of, you know, enters the equation where here, this is just simply, you know, you're in San Antonio for four or five days, you, you play the Spurs twice. And I, I thought both teams made adjustments in that second game that made it more competitive. Um, and, and I think it, it actually gives teams a chance to game plan against the Lakers which then I think makes the Lakers a better team. And this is something that Frank Vogel has talked about that, you know, because they're the defending champs, because they have LeBron and AD, because, um, you know, they're the Lakers, like they're going to get every team's best shot every single night. Like every, 
every night, you know, whoever they're playing, that team is treating it like a playoff game because they want to beat the Lakers. They want to beat the defending champs. Um, so already I think there's an element of like they get, you know, teams best shots on, on, on most nights. Uh, but then when you give a team an extra game to prepare, I think you see some things. And I asked Frank before the game, um, you know, the, the Spurs only got eight shots at the rim in that second matchup. And I was looking at it more from a Lakers perspective of like what they did. And, and to me, they were loading up the paint more, um, you know, especially against the pick and roll that the Spurs had attacked uh, Marcus Gasol and, and Montrez Harrell a little bit, gotten to the rim, gotten out in transition. Uh, so to me, the, the Lakers are much more paint conscious and, and, and just loading up the paint, loading up the backside. And it, it kind of resulted actually in, in, in you know, more open shots for the Spurs. And, um, you know, I think through that first like you know, three quarters, three and a half quarters, um, there were stretches there where the Spurs just got a bunch of open looks because they weren't trying to get to the rim. They're, they were trying to drive and kick. Um, and so I, I asked Frank Vogel about that and, and why he felt that you know the Spurs only got eight shots. Was it something the, the Lakers were doing? Like what you know was it something they, they schemed or saw on film? And he actually said that he felt it was more of an adjustment from the Spurs that you know they felt you know that the Spurs in the first game it took a lot of contested shots um, in the paint and at the rim. And that they actually countered to the way the Lakers were defending them by, you know, using that extra attention, drawing in Lakers defenders and then kicking out uh, for, for threes and, and, you know, mid-range jumpers and stuff. So I, I think it is an interesting kind of chess match where, um, you know, again, you, you normally only have 24 to 48 hours to prepare for a team. And especially early in the season, you're focusing on yourself. But this is a chance to learn from the previous matchup and, and you know, so now going into Tuesday's matchup with Memphis, the Lakers have a, a game to, to go off of, not only to look at themselves, but to look at what Memphis did and, and, and scout Memphis, not on Memphis's previous matchups, but on their you know last matchup with the Lakers. So, it, 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 you know, it's something that I, I think you know, this is probably going to continue now. Um, this might be the new normal in terms of just trying to limit travel and, and um, you know, uh, just you know, how the NBA is going to be. I, you know, I think road trips are, are going to start to be like this, where it, it might be like a six game trip where you play three teams and uh, you know, you just play them twice, uh, you know, on, on the trip. And that's just, uh, you know, the new normal, but it, it's interesting. I, I think it, it makes for a more interesting second game. And, and that I think is what, you know, I'm going to be watching for uh, on, on Tuesday versus Memphis. Um, okay. So next question from Jimmy uh, at Jimmy, uh, with two Y's underscore Lee one. What's the deal with AC? Is he in quarantine? Does he have a positive test? When is he coming back? I, I don't know the answer to uh, any of these. I mean, he, he is in quarantine. Um, you know, be, th them listing it as health and safety protocols. I mean, that essentially means he, he is in quarantine. Uh, now, we don't know if he has COVID-19 or if he was just a close contact with someone who had it. Um, so I, I can't you know, in, in the, the league, uh, their latest uh, batch of, of COVID results said that, you know, no player had tested positive, um, I think within like the last week or so. So it actually would likely suggest Alex was a close contact uh, with someone, but that, that's just pure speculation. I'm not reporting anything. So don't take that and aggregate it. Um, that's just my read on the situation. I mean, it, it just doesn't seem like, it, you know, if he had it, I, I think that report would have said one player had it and then we'd kind of put two and two together. Um, as for when he's coming back, we still don't know. Uh, we asked Frank about it after the game and, and he said he didn't have an update. So um, my guess would be he's probably out Tuesday and then maybe we'll be back uh, Thursday for 
Um, I believe it's the Chicago game or, or is it San, it's the San Antonio game uh, on Thursday. Uh, so I, my guess would be he's probably back for that game and, and misses Tuesday in Memphis. Like if the Lakers don't need to make him travel, I don't think they should. Um, so I, my guess would be he's out again on Tuesday and, and probably plays Thursday or, or Friday against uh, Chicago. Okay. Um, wow. I'm, I'm going to butcher this. Um, Aniket Mohan um, it would be Aniket underscore Mohan 24. Um, I apologize. I, I'm sensitive to, to people butchering my name. So I, I, I know I just butchered your name, but I, I'm at least apologizing. Um, is the Lakers plan for AD to only take jump shots to keep that area of his game most or more consistent? Uh, no, I, I think that this is an area that AD can sometimes uh, rely on too much. I mean, and there was another jump shot question. So, you know, this is clearly something that fans are interested in. Um, I think AD, it, it's just sometimes when guys are so talented, um, and you, I think you see this a lot more with bigs, where when, when bigs add a jump shot, you know, a three-point shot, sometimes they become too reliant on it. And, um, you know, because you don't have to bang in the post. You don't have to draw fouls, you, you know, and with AD, He's 6'11". He's a good ball handler, at, not only at his size, but just in general. Um, you know, he, he's quick. He's athletic. Uh, so he can create space for his shot, basically, against any defender, any defensive coverage. Like, unless he's triple or quadruple team and, and can't dribble to create space, um, he can get open against, you know, any player and, and probably even double team if he really wanted to. Um, so I, I do think... He's at his best when, you know, he's he's posting up and, and using that to take a step back, a fadeaway, or to, to pump fake and drive. Like, um, you know, one of my favorite offensive plays from him this season was when he faced up against Serge Ibaka early in the Clippers game, you know, just kind of gave him a little hub, head fake, took a couple dribbles, drove right past him and dunked. And it's like, I feel like AD can do that more than he does. Um, just he has now, that being said, he has improved as a jump shooter and, and with the way he shot in the playoffs and in the bubble, like, I understand why he's taking so many jumpers. Um, I just think that, especially if he's missing his jumpers and, and not really getting into a rhythm, I think that's when he needs to kind of go back to the block, um, get into the pick and roll. And, and and even on the block, I don't necessarily think he should always just be posting up or, or trying to go to like a hook shot or something. I think it's more about just like getting in deep and then using his spins, his, his dribbles, his athleticism to create a high percentage look, whether it's a floater, which we saw a few times tonight, um, whether it's you know trying to draw a foul um, or, or again just kind of spinning by someone, putting the ball on the floor for a second, and, and dunking or, or getting a layup, like he's capable of attacking from basically anywhere on the floor. So I do think there are times he's too jump shot reliant. I don't think it's really an issue yet, um, and I also wonder if it's just kind of a regular season maintenance thing. Of he's still getting his legs under him. Um, you know, he's not going a hundred percent fully yet. Uh, but if that continues into the playoffs if he's not shooting at the same level he was last postseason, which, you know, that kind of remains to be seen. Um, that's where I think it would start to be a, a bit of a concern, but it's way too early for, for any of that. Um, Terry Lash uh, at Terry underscore Lash. Seemed like Kuz was in a really good flow to start the game and then just crickets for the vast majority of the rest of it. Do you think Vogel uh, feels there's a need to have uh, to do anything specific to keep him more involved throughout the game if he's filling in as a starter? Uh, so this is not the first time we saw this. We, we remember, we saw this in, in the Portland game as well, where I think he had 14 first quarter points and finished with 20. Um, I, I think it's, 
like Kuz comes out of the gate really hot, uh, clearly as a starter. And, you know, we, we've talked about starter Kuz and, and how he, he does play better, you know, as a starter versus coming off the bench. Um, I, I do wonder if it's just kind of a, a thing where, um, you know, defenses adjust and, and, you know, at first it's, it's kind of like, especially if he's out there next to AD and LeBron, like he's clearly the third option. Then you also have Dennis out there. So he might be the third option. Uh, so when Kuz is like the third or fourth option and he's hitting threes like, like the way he was, um, you know, I, I think it's just, it's kind of hard to defend that because you're not going to help off of LeBron. You're not going to help off of AD. I guess you could help off of Dennis depending where he is on the floor, but um, it, it's just, you know, it, and I also thought a lot of that was just him moving off the ball and, 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 you know, they did run a couple actions for him, but I did feel like a lot of that was just free flowing organic, you know, basketball that, that led to Kuz getting open. So um, I do think it's interesting. I, I probably have to look more at the film to, to give you a better answer. Um, but, but my kind of read is, um, you know, I, I think it, it's also LeBron and AD picking their spots. Like both of those guys kind of started this game slow offensively. Uh, LeBron only had nine points heading into the fourth uh, b- before scoring 13 and kind of taking over uh, at the beginning of the frame. So I, I think, you know, I, I don't have a great answer for this, but it, it is, it's interesting. I, I don't think there's much to read into. Um, I don't think it's a big deal, but I, I do think also this was a unique circumstance because most of the time Kuz is starting, it's for LeBron or AD. And then, you know, Frank has talked about that. This time he was starting next to both of them. So he clearly was like when one of those guys is out, He's going to get more shots. He, he's going to be expected to score 15 to 20 points. When those guys are both playing and he's playing next to them, he just is more of a spot up, you know, off the ball type guy. So I think that's another part of it for sure. Um, let's see. A couple more questions. Uh, a, a turning, kind of flipping, a couple flipping the switch questions. Um, I, I think you know, th- that, that sometimes happens with really good teams. Like I, I wouldn't be too concerned with that. Um, I, I do think that, you know, like you can create some bad habits w- with that. And it is something that, um, you know, the, the, the Lakers uh, need to be careful of, but I, I think, you know, it, I do think there's a misconception that teams are supposed to play hard all the time. And, and it, even teams that have that reputation of playing hard all the time, rarely play hard every single second or every single minute. Um, you know, basketball is a game of runs for a reason. Like you are going to have lulls offensively or defensively or both uh, that, that, you know, lead to, um, you know, kind of rough stretches in the game. So I, I, I think if anything, I would be a little bit more encouraged by them flipping the switch because that shows that when they are fully engaged, they have the talent to reach that level. And, and I think if you didn't see that and they weren't able to, and, and they lost some of these games where, you know, San Antonio or Memphis um, and weren't able to flip the switch, that's where I think the red light starts to come on. And it's like, okay, how good is this team actually? But I think the fact that they showed they can kind of do that, um, that to me is, is encouraging. Um, what does this team need more backup center or a big defensive wing? That is from Ta Saghen uh, at Ta Saghen. I butchered your name too. I apologize. Uh, I think they honestly, I think they need both. Um, I think they could use a better three uh, and D wing option than uh, Alfonso McKinney, and I think they could probably use a uh, a third center as like their fifteenth guy, or maybe even the fourteenth guy instead of Quinn Cook. Um, I know he's a fan favorite, but I, I just don't see 
like with with Dennis and LeBron already basically being the point guards, then you have Alex um, who, who can secondary ball handle. Then you have THT who is um, kind of showed tonight like he can run that backup point guard role to a decent extent. Like I, I just don't see where Quinn Cook. I, I know he's a great locker room guy. I know he's beloved, so I, I don't know you know if they end up. And the reason I say him and not Jared Dudley, um, you know, aside from obviously Jared being a huge part of the locker room is that you know Quinn has a non-guaranteed contract so uh, the Lakers could eventually waive him but I guess you know having a third center just in, in case it's a terrible matchup for Mark or a terrible matchup for Trez or one of those guys gets injured or is in foul trouble like that's where you'd probably want a I look at a guy like Dwayne Denman that's the name I keep coming to like I look at him as, as someone who would I think be great for this team but um, I think we need more of a sample size to really judge like what does this team need what are they missing because again if they're top five in offense and defense, like, you know, you don't want to necessarily rest on your laurels, but this team is pretty good. And, and I don't know if they necessarily need to make one of those moves. Um, what is the favorite part of covering the Lakers team so far? This is at, uh, is it Carrie Kalugas or Karika Lugas 12? Um, I, I think my, my favorite part so far has been uh, honestly Laker fans. And I know, um, that, that might be the cheesy answer, but just definitely sense uh, a different sense of spotlight, a different sense of engagement um, in on the athletic in the comment section. But but even you know asking for questions for the pod, um, you know posting stuff on on, on Twitter or um, different places. Like I, I've just sensed it, it is you know obviously the not only the the biggest you know but it's the biggest fan base in the NBA, but one of the biggest fan bases in sports. And um, I think you know kind of being a part of that has been a cool experience so far of just feeling like, you know, my, my, there's a new um, sense of, of attention on my work. And, and that has both, um, you know, as, as a reporter, that, that is something you, you both enjoy and, um, you know, kind of motivates you to, to do better work. And, and that's kind of what I've sensed, you know, two weeks into this. Um, let's see. Last question. I will go with um, Aniket Mohan again, because uh, I, I like this question. Um, how can we unlock Dennis Trez pick and roll? Uh, I mean, I think they just have to play more. Uh, that, you know, Part of it's just been Trez has been playing a lot with the second unit, and, and that second unit group is, is usually Trez, Marcus, uh, I mean, Marquis. I keep mixing up the, the Morse twins. Um, Markeef, uh, LeBron, Kyle, and then, you know, Alex or, or Taylor or Wes, um, it, you know, that kind of fifth spot rotates a bit. Um, but I, I mean, so I, I just think they got to get more minutes. And, and that was, that's been one of those early surprises, I guess, is like, you know, you thought that once you already had Dennis bringing in Trez, he would have a natural pick and roll partner. Um, we have not seen that fully unlocked yet, but I, I do think, if they can find some minutes with Dennis, maybe in the LeBron spot and, and, you know, bringing LeBron out for three or four minutes. And we've seen it a couple of times, but I think seeing it more consistently and having Dennis and Trez just run high pick and roll with like, you know, Kyle, Markeef and Wes spreading the floor. That I think would be the, you know, unlocked version of the Dennis Trez pick and roll. Uh, so with that, I will, head out of here. This is now, I think, officially our longest pod, um, but I appreciate you guys for listening. 
Um, I'll be back after the Memphis game on Tuesday. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That is at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. Thank you guys. I'll talk to you soon.